From Wisconsin Public Radio, this is Newsmakers. I'm Ezra Wall in our studio in La Crosse. Thank you very much for joining us. We're talking today uh, as we take a, a closer look at some of the issues that face uh, folks with addiction. We're talking today about OWI treatment courts, uh, which is something that exists throughout Wisconsin. We're talking about two courts uh, in our listening area in La Crosse County and in Monroe County. And I'm joined by several guests who are lending us their expertise today, and I'm really appreciative of that. First, let's start with Judge Elliot Levine, a La Crosse County Circuit Court judge who is, uh, is, is the judge on the, on the treatment court uh, program in La Crosse County. Judge Levine, thanks a lot for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thank you for joining, uh, having us come. Also from La Crosse County, Tammy Simmons, the uh, one of the OWI treatment courts coordinators uh, in La Crosse County. Tammy, thanks a lot for being here. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And from Monroe County, Tara Nichols uh, is representing that OWI uh, treatment court. Tara, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thank you for having us, Ezra. So let me start with it. Uh, uh, treatment courts are, uh, there are a bunch of them in Wisconsin. They're all over the place and uh, they provide a very valuable a service for uh, for a certain segment of of the population. So let's uh, start starting with you, Tammy. Let's talk about just for people who are not familiar, what is an OWI treatment court? Well, OWI is the acronym for Operating While Intoxicated, which is the acronym that we use in Wisconsin. Other states may use DUI, but for our purposes, we are using OWI. The OWI treatment court reduces recidivism through the use of evidence based practices. They're built on a very unique partnership between the criminal justice system and the treatment community, where the focus is mainly on treatment versus being punitive. We have a dedicated um, group of people that work on our team that has the common goal of breaking the cycle of drug and alcohol abuse, as well as criminal behavior. Who is it that might qualify to participate in a treatment court type program? Yeah, and, and OWI courts are a little bit unique compared to some of the other courts, uh, treatment courts in general. Across the state, there's drug treatment courts, veterans courts, mental health courts. So they really are, you know, kind of varied across the state. In our OWI court here in Monroe County, our focus is really on high-risk offenders, uh, multiple offenders. So we really focus on OWI 4th fifth and sixth offenses here in Monroe County. We do have programming available for um, multiple offenders with, with lower risk levels like seconds and thirds, but we really focus our treatment court on uh, Monroe County residents that are, are facing um, fourth, fifth, or sixth offense OWIs. So with your role as, as the administrator of that kind of program, what's your involvement in the process? Yeah, so I'm pretty involved. I'm a, a team member. Um, we have eight team members total that are, are voting members and kind of really hands-on in the process. I do a lot of the admin work and kind of making sure our funding is secured every year, making sure that um, our policies and procedures are matching best practices across the state and across the nation. Um, because there are so many treatment courts in Wisconsin, there are constantly evolving practices and, and making sure that we are following evidence and making sure that we are not doing any harm to our participants. And so my role is to kind of oversee everything and make sure that our team members are getting trained, that our participants are being cared for, and, and just kind of overseeing the, the court um, as a whole 
and then kind of reporting back to the judge as our ultimate like leader of the program. Speaking of judge, we're uh, pleased to have one with us today. Judge Elliot Levine uh, is a La Crosse County Circuit Court judge. Uh, judge Levine, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit from your perspective uh, on the bench, what is what is the uh, OWI treatment court process? How is it maybe different from uh, another kind of uh, court process that people might be familiar with? Well, OWI courts, OWI treatment courts specifically, are designed to essentially supervise individuals to make sure that the treatment is being provided for them and they're able to complete that treatment. And not only that, also change other aspects of their life. So it's vastly different from just a regular court proceeding. Um, you know, courts, we essentially deal with the incident. People are found either guilty or not guilty. They're, uh, if they're guilty, they're they're sentenced, and that's the last we see of them until um, they get back into the system, which isn't great. But the OWI treatment court process is working with a team of experts, like the, the coordinators here, uh, treatment providers, probation and parole, law enforcement. It can be um, other individuals on a team. Uh, of course, the district attorney's office and the defense is represented also. And what happens is between that collective knowledge, we try to figure out how we're going to work with each individual, either weekly, every other week, it depends on how often they're coming into court. But essentially, it's a very close watch of individuals, much closer than a lot of other community-based programming for courts. But it's also working hand-in-hand with, with the treatment that they're in. So individuals can be in treatment from simply one-on-one counseling to all the way to residential. Quite frankly, like Tara said, the goal is with high-risk, high-needs individuals that we have in our Track 2 program in La Crosse is uh, individuals with high needs, high treatment needs, high other needs also. And so we try to provide not only the treatment aspect, but other life needs, such as housing, employment, uh, transportation, uh, simply trying to deal with other issues. Usually mental health is a major issue from OWI courts. Um, it is almost always a codependency, co-occurrence uh, with individuals. So these are the things we do to uh, try to provide individuals in treatment courts versus an everyday court, which I sentence an individual, they're placed on probation, they're placed in jail, they go to prison. And that's, um, you know, the hope is that there's some programming there. And the reality is, is that it's limited in prison. And individuals are stuck with other individuals who are, you know, at different risk levels. Uh, I know the prison system tries to separate them, but the reality is, is that they're all there in prison. It disjoints them from their entire life. And so their work, their housing, their families, all the support systems, which they will need when they get back in the, into the community, will be, you know, disrupted, if not gone altogether. So this is really an opportunity to make major changes with individuals that is effective and um, long-lasting. I'm curious about your uh, role in this, which seems like a really holistic approach. I know you're not literally the person's therapist or, you know, group counselor or, you know, parole officer or anything like that. But you're, it's, it seems like the judge in this kind of court is coordinating that on a much more hands-on level than, than in other aspects of the court system. And, and I'm wondering how you have found that 
different, more helpful, less helpful? Is it more responsibility for you, or is it is it is it uh, is it help helpful part of the process for you to be more directly involved than in than in other uh, areas that might come before you as a circuit court judge? It is. I mean, the reality is you have to understand a lot of aspects of human behavior. Um, you know, if it wasn't for my coordinators and the folks on the team, um, I would be lost. I need to have all that information and their expertise. Um, it's so it's it's a lot different too because when you interact with individuals, you understand a little bit more in depth their uh, behavior, why it's happening, what's how do you address it, um, and what's the most effective way you address it. Quite honestly, we do something that's very different from courts. We use a lot of incentives. We don't use sanctioning as much. You know, most people say you go to jail because when you do something wrong, that's really fairly ineffective in changing human behavior. What's more effective is an incentivized methodology, which is what we use. Um, the research is very clear that it's much more effective to try to incentivize change. Um, we also try to motivate them on their own personal journeys. Uh, it's, it's not that complicated. In many ways, people deal with this with their children every day, by the way. And I'm not saying these people are children because they're not, they're adults, but they're, they're, we're all susceptible to the same human behavior. And that's what, what's important for us to reflect, understand that that's what we're changing. And for me personally, it changed, you know, how I look at courts. Uh, I've always been a little pretty person-centered individual, so it wasn't completely a change for me, but um, uh, but on the other hand, it does, um, you know, what we do in court is a fairly, uh, uh, how to say it, it's, it's a fairly, you know, strict rules, you're following these rules to be fair to all individuals, it's an adversary process, and this doesn't get rid of the adversary process completely, but it, it does diminish some of that adversarial nature. Um, but people are, if they need to have the rights defended, they'll be defended by the individuals who are there. So it's, it's a complex model, but it's very effective and it's been upheld uh, through research for the last 20 plus years. Tammy Simmons is with us as well. Uh, she's, as I mentioned before, one of the coordinators uh, in La Crosse County. Um, Tammy, I'm, I'm wondering about your experience, uh, I'm assuming that you get to uh, interact with the people who are going through this program uh, quite a bit. What's what's that like to to watch them just as a professional, not not getting too involved with them personally? But how rewarding is it, or or how challenging is it to to uh, watch what they're going through as as people as you're working your way through this program with them? It is both challenging and rewarding all at the same time. Initially, it can be challenging because many people, when they start the treatment court, they don't believe they have an issue. The issue is with the law enforcement officer who pulled them over or the judge who had it out to get them. Um, but once they decide to participate in this voluntary program, they start their drug and alcohol testing, they start their treatment, they start their cognitive behavioral groups. And eventually many of these people start to get sober. And when they start to get sober and maintain some sobriety, their brain is starting to heal and they're starting to think differently about things and have healthier thoughts versus criminal thinking. So it's really nice seeing that change. Um, 
what's also interesting is when, when they're speaking at their commencement ceremony, when they're graduating from the treatment court, just going through all the things that they have accomplished over the last year that they were in the treatment court and looking at them versus taking a look at the mugshot they had when they were booked into jail on the day of their arrest, two very, very, very different people. And not only does it benefit them, it benefits their family members, their employers. I can't tell you how many times clients have told me that their boss is constantly giving them verbal praise now because of how well they're doing. They just seem more focused at work. They're always on time. They seem to want to help other people out. Um, family members have reached out stating, this is the old so-and-so that I used to know. It's so nice to have this person back in my life again. So them getting sober, not just helps themselves, but to all those around them, whether it's their family, their children, friends, coworkers. As an administrator, and I'm, you know, not asking you to like predict anybody's future, but do 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 you see people who are finding success in the program or having difficulty in the in the program, and then, uh, and and you're a, you know, as just a person who's observed this process time and time again, you find yourself thinking, I I knew they could do it, or I I really thought that person might have challenges. Both ways, I've seen people start the OWI court that I thought are going to be stellar and get through this no problem, and then. It, do, it doesn't turn out that way. They have a lot of struggles and we do everything we can to help them get back on track. Um, we've seen other people start the treatment court where they were nearing death because their addiction was so severe and they've been in the system for so long. Um, some people I've worked with, I actually placed into foster care when they were little kids. So I, I know a lot of their history. It, it may seem like there's not a lot of hope for that person, but those are the people that seem to truly surprise you and can turn things around as long as they have the support. We're talking uh, to Tammy Simmons, Tara Nichols, and Judge Elliot Levine on Newsmakers today. We're talking about o- OWI treatment courts in La Crosse and Monroe counties, and our conversation will continue in just a moment. If you ever want to reach out to the show, you can do that via email. Our address is newsmakers at wpr.org. That's newsmakers at WPR.org. Our conversation will continue. This is Newsmakers on Wisconsin Public Radio. Wisconsin Public Radio, it's Newsmakers. I'm Ezra Wall in La Crosse talking to Judge Elliot Levine, Tammy Simmons, and Tara Nichols. We're talking about OWI treatment courts today on Newsmakers. And before the uh, break, Tammy was talking about uh, seeing some people come through the program that she had first interacted with when they were going through the difficult experience of being part of the foster care system, which obviously presents its own challenges and can have a real impact on people as they go through life. I'm, I'm interested uh, in, uh, Tara, Tara, I saw you nodding your head as Tammy was speaking about some of the people working through the program. Uh, what What is that experience like when, when you get to watch someone who had maybe previously resigned themselves to the fact that this this is my horrible, awful life, and now they've found a different way forward. Honestly, there's nothing like it. It's really a unique experience, and unless you're involved in one of these programs or have seen somebody battle addiction and come out on the other side of it, you probably don't fully comprehend how amazing it is to see those turnarounds. Um, 
you know, with alcohol addiction and, and of course, OWI courts deal with with other drugs as well, but alcohol tends to be the most common. It's so widely acceptable and widely accessible in Wisconsin and so common that a lot of times it takes a long time for people to really understand the damaging effects that it's having on them, their community, their families. And so to kind of see them come around to understanding the damage that it's had on their lives is pretty amazing. And, and just the things people are capable of doing and, um, you know, breaking some of that generational addiction or trauma, it, it's really amazing. Judge Levine, how long does it usually take somebody to go through a program like this? An average 18 months. I mean, it's um, they're designed sometimes for about 12 months, 13 months. Um, it depends on the county and how they set it up. Ours is, is designed about that long at this point in time. We actually see an average around 18 months for people to graduate from the high-risk individual with high risk. So we, we've had people as long as three years in the program, too. And this is not an easy process. You know, you were mentioning OWI 5th. Now, OWI 5th has a mandatory prison term and 6th. And we, we have a, a way to have them involved in the program, which gets them uh, in a position to avoid at least the prison um, stay part. They still get sentenced to prison. But what it really does is it does all that treatment in a way that's effective by not allow by having them stay in the community, and and quite honestly, I, I agree with Tara and Tammy. The, the changes I've seen over the years, I've been doing, being a as a defense attorney in, from 1990. I was a public defender. Um, same thing with Tammy. I've represented many of these people when they were uh, children, for that fact, and um, and to see how the system is so much different in treatment courts because it makes that change and quite frankly makes the change pretty permanent for people you know addiction's a day-to-day -day struggle but they learn to cope with their addiction and have pretty normal lives it's um and that's what the goal is normalcy trying to get people to feel like they're back in the community um as you know fully interactive not uh, involved with their addiction to alcohol or drugs so it is incredibly um, uh, satisfying to see those changes happen with people. And, and you know, those who don't even do well, quite honestly, they still do better than they would have. Um, that's what the research supports that also. Um, so even in our, I'm not going to call failures, but in our inability to make those changes permanent, uh, quite honestly, we've made major differences in their lives. What what kind of uh, I don't know who has the answer to this question, but I'm I'm wondering about recidivism. Like how how often do we see people come through a program like this, look like they're going to do okay, and then you know they they fall off the wagon and find themselves back in the legal system. Well, it, the fact is that the, there's a significant drop off in recidivism for those who graduate from the programs. Uh, five year, three year, five year recidivism um, have significant um, reductions. Now, I'm going to say that I'm not going to give a specific number, but I can say that it's a it's almost a uh, 25 to 30 percent reduction generally. Um, each program is different. Each program is designed slightly mm -hmm. differently. Uh, 
But what we do know is that as long-term recidivism is maintained uh, once you get beyond that five to 10 year period. Uh, now, the fact is it's hard for programs to do 10 years. We exist since 2006. So we've been around for a bit. So we have some time and Monroe County has been around for almost the same length of time for that fact um, uh, as a drug court and, um, and, and as an OWI court. So, you know, it is a significant reduction. We also see significant cost savings by people not going to prison, not going to jail as long. Um, and um, because they also don't recidivate, you see uh, incredible return in the investment in putting in these type of courts and having them run successfully and well. Tara, I'm, I'm, how do you choose like the, the providers you work with? The, um, you know, some, some people, I would imagine most of these people need to be in some kind of recovery type like peer program, like a 12-step program or some other kind of recovery program? How, how do you determine what is, which programs you interact with, which ones can be part of your, part of your system or part of your treatment options? Yeah, here in Monroe County, all of our participants first start with an assessment, an AODA assessment uh, done by our human services provider, who is a team member. Um, and kind of based on that assessment and looking at their history and um, what's available and, and all of that, she kind of makes a determination on what level of care they're appropriate for. And I think Judge Levine touched on that, that that could be anything from individual treatment all the way up to kind of residential treatment. Most of our participants fall under uh, about group therapy where they go about two to three times a week. Um, most fall into that. And we're really lucky here in Monroe County. We're a you know, pretty rural community, but we have a lot of resources available with Mayo and Gunderson, both local. Um, we have a lot of veterans in our treatment court, and we are very lucky to have the Toma VA um, have so many services available to veterans so that they're really getting the care that is directed at them and their needs. Um, and we also have a, a significant Ho-Chunk population, and we are lucky to be able to work with the Ho-Chunk so that participants that identify with that can get cultural needs that way too. And so we are pretty open as long as they are meeting um, wherever they were assessed at. We do also encourage, like you said, the 12-step meetings or any other kind of support meetings. Here in Monroe County, we have a really great organization called Sober Eyes um, that does a lot of great work with the recovery community. Um, we also have an organization called Next Steps for Change uh, with peer supports, which has been a really great addition to our treatment courts here in Monroe County, where they can get matched with a peer who has walked through addiction and, um, you know, be able to kind of connect with someone who's had that lived experience. Judge Levine, from your perspective, uh, uh, is, is are there things that the rest of the legal system can learn from the way uh, treatment courts are operated? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, interestingly enough, I, I, uh, I think Judge Ziegler would agree with me on this, is that it, it has a major effect in the counties that develop these treatment courts. The judges all look at the evidence-based practice of how treatment courts are conducted. And at the same time, other court um, courts are beginning to be influenced by that. Um, that. For example, children's court. Uh, you know, ch children need a protection and services when you deal with parents. 
Um, obviously, sentencing, and you start talking about forming sentencing. Uh, how do you interact with people so they they understand that you know what we have to do to try to motivate them into the change we need to do? So there is less danger for the community. And quite honestly, I think it has had a major impact on the state of Wisconsin back since, um, you know, in around 2000, La Crosse County and Monroe County were county number two and three that started drug courts. And after Dane County had it since 1996. And so that change slowly over the last 20 years, 20 plus years, has had a major effect, I think, in how uh, the courts look at criminal justice and how do we approach it through more evidence-based practices um, um, as we approach individuals' behavior. Um, you know, it's I'm not going to make any giant claims about reduction of recidivism and crime and all that, but I think it does make those courts that use it much more humane um, and understanding places that are really making effective change. Um, so, yeah, it has had a major effect across the whole court system. We're talking today on Newsmakers about OWI treatment courts, in particularly in La Crosse County and Monroe County. I appreciate our guests joining us today. Our, our, our guests were uh, Judge Elliot Levine, uh, Tammy Simmons, and Tara Nichols. Thank you all very much for joining us today. If you want to hear this conversation again or a previous conversation that we've had on Newsmakers, I invite you to check out our website, which is wpr.org slash newsmakers. That's wpr.org slash newsmakers. Coming up next on Newsmakers, we're going to talk to somebody who's actually been through this OWI treatment court program in La Crosse County, and he'll join us next here on Newsmakers from Wisconsin Public Radio. Wisconsin Public Radio, it's Newsmakers. I'm Ezra Wall. We're talking about OWI treatment courts today. It's an interesting resource that's available uh, throughout our listening area today, focusing on La Crosse County and Monroe County. And now in particular, we are going to talk with uh, someone who has been through the program in La Crosse County. It's Dean Chekovich, uh, who uh, is a treatment court grad and is going to share his story with us. Dean, welcome to Newsmakers. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you, Ezra. Glad to be here. So before we get to before we get to treatment court, as as you and I were talking a little bit off the air, we can't just jump right into treatment court. You got there somehow. Tell me a little bit about uh, about your life and and uh, what what led you to the circumstance where you needed that level of intervention. Well, Ezra, to tell you the truth, um, I spent about forty years of my life in and out of treatment. Uh, long-term, short-term, uh, detox centers. I have never counted them, but uh, 40 years of um, the gateway drugs, marijuana, cigarettes, beer, all the way up to uh, uh, heroin, cocaine, uh, injection, uh, crystal methamphetamine, um, you know, all of the stuff that should take your life. And it had with me uh, three times in clinical overdoses in hospitals, not to mention how many close calls at home, I, I'll never know. Um, three suicide attempts uh, that I was divinely intervened on. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. Um, just, you know, considering the time that we've got, it was complete hell for, for 40 years. Uh, 
put my family through misery. Uh, they had to step away, and I don't blame them. I did then, but um, you know, in in retrospect, uh, they had to protect themselves. It's called tough love, uh, and uh, so by the time I got to needing um, the OWI court without knowing it, I was in OWI treatment court in La Crosse County. I, I had said a prayer that night. It was uh, October 2012. And I said, let this misery be gone, God. And two hours later, I was arrested for hit and run with injuries. Uh, on that night, I knew when those, I saw those bubbles in the police car behind me that the answer to my prayer had, had arrived and I was done. I told that officer, I said, take me to my freedom. And he said, sir, if you're drunk, I'm taking you to jail. And I said, yeah, you don't know what it's like out here. Um, I was facing up to 12 years in prison for my fifth DUI. And uh, I was at peace. So you knew in, in that moment you you saw the presence of, of law enforcement and your impending carcer, incarceration as a way out of uh, whatever it was you were dealing with. How did How did that feel? Well, it has been later defined to me as uh, as I was looking through why I would think so uh, as about to be set free, and it was given to me in a in, in a uh, vision, uh, just that I lived a life of unrest until I could be arrested for my addiction and my behavior. But in this case, it was a police officer, so I could have rest uh, in the jail to start thinking about my choices. So I could have eternal rest with my savior, which who I, I hadn't even known at the time uh, until a minister came to the jail and, and introduced me to that component when I was in there. That was way before I even had the opportunity to be screened for OWI court at this point. Right before you were uh, right before the, the police caught you, um, you talked about having prayed even to be released from this. But also, this yeah. was this was not your first time through. This was not your first rodeo, as as they say. Why was this time different than the other times that that you had gotten OWI? I guess that one would be left for the big guy upstairs. Um, I prayed that same prayer for twenty years, Ezra, and this time it was answered. So, speaking of the the rest of the story, you find yourself uh, once again part of the legal system, and uh, you're you're in jail, and this time you found your way into OWI treatment court instead of the various other aspects of the court system that you could have ended up in. How did that happen? So my experience uh, recent uh, uh, prior to that was about 10 years earlier, and it was in a different state. Uh, they had they didn't have this type of a court system. And I just thought, you know, they're going to slam the gavel, lock me up, and I was gone. Um, much to my consternation, I had a lady come in and screen me when I was in jail for 34 days, I believe it was. Um, and she said, we have an option that uh, it's called OWI treatment court. Are you interested in that? And I had her explain it to me. And uh, I said, no kidding. I didn't even, I'd never heard of such a thing. And she said, well, I believe you qualify. They gave me a, they call a compass scale. It's a tool that they use to uh, find risk in your uh, recidivism and, and behaviors. So I, I risked at a high level, but also um, with uh, the ability to to qualify for the OWI court at a high risk level, of course. You qualified for the program, uh, obviously, and, and started going through it. Uh, did you immediately know that that was going to be a different experience? Absolutely not. At the current time, 
you know, I'm looking at the the idea that I'm not going to be sitting in a jail cell. That that was, you know, because I didn't know what I know now about it. But it was like, well, here's a chance uh, for me to take a look at my addiction, my behaviors, and um, and, uh, and not be sitting in a in a jail cell. What did you learn? Um about about yourself in in that process that you you uh before we began our conversation officially you you were talking about uh uh several different pieces that kind of work together to help you find uh what's worked for you so far this time well the first component that came together was the fact that there was an owi treatment court um which was different than the uh you know you plead guilty or take a a plea agreement and you get a sentence and then you sit either in huber in jail or go to prison um that up to my point up to that point was my my line of thinking because that was my experience this opened up a whole new aspect that i would could possibly be uh in in treatment through the treatment court assessing and addressing my accountability and my personal issues um as i continue to look for work and be a productive member of the community and uh take these courses um the more that was revealed to me the more excited i got about i'm not going to let this slip away this isn't their fault this is my fault i put myself in this situation and i'm going to take advantage of this completely because this is something that i've been asking for uh, but i've never had the chance to do and now they're giving me a chance God darn it, I'm going to take advantage of it. And uh, the, quite uniquely, when I walked into the court my first time, Ezra, I met a judge who knows me from the past. It was Judge Horn at the time. He was a district attorney back in my day but because I was gone from town here for 10 years, uh, 12 years. And, and I looked at him with a total different respect, with respect, period. Um, he cared. I saw him, how he was, he was uh, interacting with care, concern, and empathy for the people in the court, overlooking the criminality at the point in time, but trying to get them to see their own accountability, to see that they put the key in the ignition, to see uh, that that if they didn't do that, if they actually had a plan in place prior to drinking, other than driving a car, you know, taxi cabs, friends, or sober drivers, whatever, um, he was he was advocating for all of these things, showing some common sense in the courtroom it blew my mind and i had instead of being an aggressive uh, person who was against authority i started embracing it and and i looked at these people as human beings the judges the 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 even my attorney and and uh the the district attorney that was assigned they were doing their job they were keeping public safety but they were doing it with a different aspect that i was never used to they were doing it with an aspect of if you didn't put chemicals in your body you're probably not a criminal you know, and 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 it was amazing because it was true. I don't I don't go out and commit crimes as a sober person, but when I I have a component in me, when and I will tell you that I am a a registered, certified, it will kill me alcoholic, um, which isn't the case with everybody. They have an issue with getting behind the wheel intoxicated. You tell them that that's what the problem is, they never do it again. That's not Dean because my addiction was so untreated for so long um in ad, unadmitted on my part that um this is the collateral damage that had built up and i saw a chance and i was going to take it and i did I, I spent a year in that program and it was very successful you went through the program uh, you graduated from the program um 
and and then and so so from the time from the time you graduated from the program to now, how how long has that been? Uh, well, that was 2012. I graduated the program. 2000. It took me a while to get in. Uh, so I believe it was April of 2014 when I finally finished the program, which was a year to date after I got into. I think it took me nine months of electronic bracelet. I I can't remember the time frame for sure, but it was it was a 12 month treatment program. So by April of 2014, I was completely graduated the program. Now, while you're part of the program, you you mentioned the bracelet, but are you are they like uh, do you, do you have to like take uh, I don't know drug tests or breathalyzer tests or any you know you know breathe in a thing or anything like Absolutely. that? Absolutely, yeah. They have a way to monitor. Uh, back then, it was a little different than now. I'm I'm unsure of of what uh, testing and measuring components that they use today, but it's very similar to back then. It's it's regular uh, UAs. Uh, you go into the office down there, and uh, your color comes up. They have a color. You got to call in each day. If your color comes up, then you go down and get a UA. At that point in time, I had what they call a MEMS unit. It was a uh, a breathalyzer at home. Um, and I breathe in it, it, it between a certain time in the morning and a certain time in the evening. Um, and uh, so, you you know, and to take your picture, make sure it's you that's in, you know, blowing into that. I also had a device in my car called an IID. Um, it was an in, in, ignition interlock device. Oh, okay. That's the thing that prevents the car from starting up if you've been drinking. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. And were those were those steps helpful? Were you ever like tempted to cheat the system, or did did that did those uh, those accountability points help to keep you in line? They were they were part of the part of the accountability that 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 helped keep me in line. Uh, my my personal drive to to not drink again, to not use again. Um, uh, in my past, my my personal willpower has proven to not last very long. Uh, not against some, an addiction so well laid in my past and and have the groundwork laid in me. Uh, my willpower is is nothing. I, I I don't have that. So you could put all the tools in place you want, um, and with my addiction would take over. It would take over, and and I would blow all that. Something had changed in my lifestyle. Something had changed. And the hope that I had from being given a chance through the OWI system, the court system, um, I also put a, a spiritual component in it, which, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people don't do It's in my opinion, that would help a lot. <laughs> that, that, that is the answer. Uh, and I understand that's not, that's not on the table for everybody that, um, that, that goes that direction, but it was a changing component in my life between that behavioral health and the OWI court. Those are the three big components that I was missing my whole entire life. Had had you been a person of faith prior, and and that just sort of uh, like you found a a deeper way into that, or was that a new experience for you? It wasn't all new. It wasn't all new. I, I was born and raised in the Catholic Church. Uh, I, I ran away from that. Uh, again, anti-authoritarian. Uh, um, went out on my own for for many many years. Uh, and when I came back to the church, I came back to a minister that had been ministering to me in the jail. Um, you know, as I said earlier, that 33 days I was in there, he saw me numerous times and invited me to a good church when I left. 
and and that definitely was a, a swinging point with obviously the the OWI court chance and um and the behavioral health which I didn't do at that point but I did several years later so you really um you the, for you are the how how equal are those those three parts the 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 court system the behavioral health aspect and and the accountability that you're provided through through your uh faith practice well you would ask that question of course um, i would thank thank you for that um uh, i'm i'm going to give god all the credit in this because i believe that that he is the founder uh the inspirer of the hearts of the people that work for the court system that 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 put this thing in place uh whether they know it or not um i i know that the god that i serve is a god of second chances and um and he inspired that with the court he also inspired the behavioral health he also inspired science um he's the creator of everything so i'm going to give him first credit uh but but without the other two components because of my heavy addiction those two other components the behavioral health and the owi court brought it down to an earthly level for me so i could understand it because otherwise the other one component would be way too overwhelming for me uh owi court put it in simple terms for me with accountability and the behavioral health put it in simple terms for me as to alcohol and, and drugs is not the the cause it's the it's the it's it's, it's to me, it was the false treatment of what the cause was, which got me way into my childhood and some traumatic experiences that I experienced back then. So now um, you're you're in the community, part of uh, part of uh, the community, not locked up in jail. You're moving in a productive direction, and among um, among your activities, uh, you work with an organization called Next Chapter. Tell me about that. The Next Chapter of the Cross came came up here in the last few years. Um, you know, I was out doing the workaday world and in, in uh, remodeling construction and, and whatnot. Um, and uh, growing in my faith, uh, I, I volunteered for the OWI court as a an ambassador for eight years. Um, after I graduated, Judge Horn uh, saw some some uh, something in me, and he asked me if I would be willing to. Uh, to give back and i said absolutely uh anything that has helped me this much i would want to encourage the others that are going through this uh, on a peer-on-peer -peer support level uh, that's what the ambassador program is and uh i i it, it took it back to the program uh for eight years after that then with the next chapter beginning um next chapter is an organization in town that's based from an organization in minnesota that's been around 25 years uh, Pastor Chris Cry um, from Neighborhood City Church had retired from that position and started this organization to help people break the cycle of incarceration. Uh, he was called to that ministry and uh, he put his heart into it, found a home uh, in town, uh, got some people to remodel it uh, from uh, Bethany Church, bless their hearts. And uh, off the ground comes this this actual home. It's a five-bedroom home to help guys uh, in this cycle of incarceration, which includes uh, the addiction component. We're not a treatment center over at Next Chapter, but we we have a four levels of care, which would be the rescue. The need uh, uh, level of care would be the rescue is level one. Uh, the rehabilitation would be level two. We are level three, the renewal um, after rehab. And then uh, reentry, which is uh, self-sufficiency and living on their own. 
those four steps break down the process of of adulting of of helplessness helplessness to hope um which you know we encourage guys to go through because it gives them the basic life skills that they may never have learned or they may have been forgotten or got robbed from uh through their addiction uh we have an 89 percent addiction to criminality ratio here in La Crosse county uh meaning that 89 percent of the people that are in jail have an addiction component um where uh next chapter minnesota our founding uh say mother organization uh that we modeled after they've got a 49 percent addiction uh, criminality ratio over there so it's just about double so what we put together was an idea that uh we help guys get into rehab which we use partners community partners for long-term uh, the Salvation Army, ARC, Adult Teen Challenge, and others, Bridge Street Mission in Wausau. Um, if, 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 if a guy comes to us and applies and they have an addiction problem, we can't, we can't fix that. We don't, you know, we don't, we're not a licensed treatment center. So we refer them to a long-term where they can get the addiction component taken care of. And when they come to our house, we're a discipleship home that, uh, the disciples men in the story the story of everything the biblical scriptures and the answer that uh that is given in that component so it's a ministry it's a christian faith-based ministry here in town uh when i was asked to be part of that i just knew that that was my calling and that's what my 40 years of misery had been turned into 40 years of energy and hope to help the next guy and since then we have touched the lives of over 120 guys in the last two years What's that like to know after everything that you've been through, and um, you know, I I I've talked to enough people in in sort of the program, so to speak, various uh, aspects of re- addiction recovery that we never we never really talk about it as being over. Uh, but but now that you have found a way uh, a way that that is helping you through it, uh, what's that like to be able to pass that on to others? Well, Esther, I'm glad you asked that question, too. Uh, when we first got started at Next Chapter, my executive director came to me and he said, uh, he said, if we had a short motto, what would that be? And I said, it, without question, it would be prison to purpose. Um, because when I remember sitting on a bar stool, looking back, always wanting to have something to do and not having a purpose in life, it was just it was robbed for me because of my addiction um, to be able to define a human being as what they're here on Earth for is to have a purpose and my purpose was to be able to take that 40 years of insanity and turn it into 40 years of of uh college if you will um experiential college to hand over to somebody else when i do that with someone else ezra i almost start crying because it's such an honor to be able to be part of somebody else's life to be the answer that say the owi court when that lady came in and interviewed me she was helping me with my purpose and without maybe she didn't even know it but it gave me a a piece of hope that i grabbed onto and 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 pulled close to my chest and never let go of Uh, i did relapse in 2016 i let it get back to me and uh i did go through the arc program and got right back on track but um so instead of having 11 years sober i've got i just celebrated five uh january 13th but praise god for that and (laughs) All the other people in my life that have been praying and and, and uh, helping me out. I'm not making excuses for your for your relapse, but I'm, I'm just interested to know, having been through what you'd been through, uh, 
with the with the treatment court uh, and seen that as a, a more successful version of of what you had previously experienced uh, was was recovering from that 2016 relapse um, a more manageable experience it, it, from Absolutely. the way you look at it now. Absolutely. The relapse prior to that was 13 and a half years um, I spent in my addiction, uh, which was, you know, from 1999 to 2012 uh, when I got arrested. But uh, this was just it was less than a few months. Uh, and I realized that, you know, my pastor came to my side. My sponsor came to my side. My best friend came to my side, um, you know, good Christian people and, and, and others. And, and thank God that I had been through that program because uh, I stayed at home. I, I didn't go out driving around being stupid because uh, I knew what it cost me. If somebody needs to take a first step toward uh, toward sobriety or at least toward taking a break, like what does that look like? Well, there's plenty of uh, 211 is a great resource in town that uh, if they just dial 211, uh, the Great Rivers um uh, phone number, a resource center for, uh, for, for getting help. 784 help is another one. Uh, they can reach out. There's multitudes of, of 12 step recovery programs, uh, celebrate recovery, smart recovery. Um, it, it, with the advent of all the, the information that we have online today, you can just type in any of those, uh, and reach out, you know, you can call a friend, you can walk into a church. Um, you know, it, it Obviously, I'm going to say, call us at next chapter, uh, next chapter of the cross. But, uh, um, you know, we can certainly help advocate uh, long-term treatment, rehab. Uh, if you need detox, we can take you up to uh, Chippewa Falls. There's a detox center here and definitely pray that we have get a detox center in La Crosse at some point. We've been speaking with uh, Dean Chekovich, who is a graduate of the uh, the, the the OWI treatment court in La Crosse County. Uh, he's part of uh, a, a La Crosse uh, faith-based uh, sort of uh, re-entry ministry called Next Chapter La Crosse. And uh, Dean, I, I really appreciate you sharing your story with us today on Newsmakers. Absolutely. Thank you. There are a few times each week uh, where you have an opportunity to catch our show. We're on Friday morning at 10 on the Ideas Network 90.3. We're on Friday night at 7 on NPR News and Music 88.9. And of course, we're always online at wpr.org slash newsmakers. Kate Spranger helps me produce the show. I appreciate it very much, Kate. Until next time, I'm Ezra Wall. Join us again next week for another Newsmakers right here on Wisconsin Public Radio.